Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Story time. Den of Misfits. I'm writing you and hope that you'll release this story out there. So, It was a crisp autumn evening in Yellowstone National Park, and I was finishing up my shift as a park ranger. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
As I made my way back to the ranger station, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. I scanned the tree line, but saw nothing out of the ordinary. Just as I was about to brush off the feeling as paranoia, I heard a rustling in the bushes. I turned, flashlight in hand, and was met with a pair of glowing eyes. The creature that emerged was unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was tall and lanky, with matted fur and razor-sharp teeth. It let out a guttural growl as it lunged towards me. I stumbled backwards, trying to escape the creature's grasp, but it was too fast. It swiped at me with its claws, tearing through my uniform and leaving deep gashes on my skin. I knew I had to do something, and fast. My training kicked in and I reached for my pepper spray, unloading it directly into the creature's face. It let out a pained howl, momentarily blinded by the spray. Taking advantage of the momentary distraction, I turned and ran as fast as I could. My heart pounded in my chest as I sprinted through the park, not stopping until I reached the safety of the ranger station. Breathless and bleeding, I stumbled inside and collapsed on the floor. The other rangers rushed to my side, calling for medical help. I don't know what that creature was, but I'm just grateful to be alive. I'll never forget that terrifying encounter in Yellowstone. I worked my whole life as a park ranger. So it had been hitting the news around our parts that various landmarks had been disappearing from the tourist route that ran through our corner of Texas. The thieves had targeted nothing but old-time fast-food joints that had those oversized cartoonish fiberglass sculptures as part of the storefront. Hot dogs with jolly faces and arms and legs, pigs that looked like Porky wearing chef hats and aprons, stuff like that. Things from a time when America was really America. Well, these things are getting lifted and the crooks were getting away with it. So far as a park ranger, somebody who thoroughly serves in the forest industry, it would be a stretch for me to make a connection between any of those disappearing sculptures and my day job. I forgot about those reports almost as soon as I had heard about them. While on patrol on one of the trails, my vehicle was suddenly under fire. Bullet holes were punched into the hood, the windshield was spider-webbed. I threw the car in the park and ducked down, radioing out for help and got a confirmation. I thought about the gas tank, which had just been filled up, so it was going to be bad idea to sit in the car. A few more holes punched into the passenger side, so I took the chance of getting out of the car on the driver's side. Backup arrived, and long story short, we nailed the shooters without much trouble. I kinda figured they had been on a self-harm mission of some sort and just wanted to go out with a bang. I turned one body over and looked into the face of a man who had painted his face something like a cartoon rabbit. The sort of thing kids would do at a carnival except this was a 30-plus-year-old man. The other shooter was painted to look like a smiling pig. Looking around the pocket of timber that they had been shooting from, we found the missing fiberglass sculptures reported about in the news. They were dressed up in hoodies and jackets and bathrobes and arranged in a large circle around the mutilated body of a beautiful young woman. At the feet of each sculpture were alternating red and black candles. It turned out the woman had been beaten, raped, and mutilated. The blood was found inside a repurposed bleach bottle. Some of it had been poured on each sculpture, staining their improvised clothes. 
The sculptures were tediously identified and hauled off to be held until the rightful owners could get them. At the time, I didn't think there would be any more to the story. And I hate to say it, but grisly things like that add to this place's popularity and our section of the state was kind of hurting for tourism and commerce. I know it sounds incredibly cold, I am divorced if that says anything. Each sculpture ended up in the right place and it was celebrated in the news. Not long after, it was reported that the restaurant owners were throwing the previously stolen sculptures away, some of them even being burned. Only a couple of the owners were even willing to give a statement and they were vague about it at best. They said something along the lines of it not feeling right or they must have been cursed. Strange things have happened since sculptures came back, none of them being good for business, despite the spike in traffic because of notoriety. The stories that weren't revealed in the news were whispered throughout the community in the years to come. It certainly was one of the strangest experiences of mine on the job and really one of my only hand-to-hand -hand experiences with the occult. It was just after sunset in summer of 2014. I was traveling on a remote road in the Cuyahoga Valley National Park near Brecksville, Ohio. It's close to the Akron-slash-Cleveland area. I had gotten off work early and decided to head home before the evening rush. As I was driving through the park, I noticed movement alongside the road. It looked like a deer grazing along the side, so I slowed down as I approached it. I love hunting, but I also love seeing them. What I saw that day was nothing like a deer. I stopped my car to get a closer look because it looked different than a deer. It was leaning against a tree. I was about 20 yards away from it when I first saw it. I was awestruck by how large it was, easily over 6 to 7 feet tall. But I couldn't tell its color due to the dark. It just kind of looked like a large shadow, which is why I originally thought it was a deer. But as I looked closer, I thought it might be a person in a ghillie suit. That made no sense though, because it was in the middle of nowhere and there was a no hunting rule. So I was perplexed. I got out of my car to investigate further. As I walked closer, I noticed a foul smell in the air. It was a mix of vomit and excrement. I assumed maybe it was a dead deer nearby or something. And it was dark. I shone my light on this animal, and it appeared to be actually eating a dead deer, ripping deer into pieces. I could not see the head of the deer and I quickly recognized that this wasn't a dog or anything else. It was not a bear or a deer. I was filled with fear. What I saw was reminiscent to that of a werewolf. I ran back to my car and gunned it. I never looked back. I've done my research and one theory is that it's a wendigo. I don't know about that though. I do know that it was not a dog, bear, deer or. Certainly it was not a person. One of the worst times to be a ranger is in the winter, especially if your area is up in the mountains. We do our god best to tell people to stay away. Snow is dangerous, especially if you don't know what you're doing. Not just avalanches and heavy drifts, but there are all sorts of other dangers like tree wells and things that appear solid but are apt to give away and have you plunged to a very painful death. Of course, we still have to go out and about and check the terrain and on any animals out there too, most of which are hibernating. 
but it is still a part of the job to make sure they are safe too. And that was when we got a call to say that a family, dad, mom, and two little girls, had gone up the mountain and not come back. Neighbors had called the cops after they had been missing for a couple of days. The dad had asked the neighbor to let the dog out, but assured her they would be home in time for dinner. When they weren't, she did not panic right away, but when they weren't back for the following day's dinner, she called the cops who alerted us and sent out search parties. We found the parents almost straight away at the bottom of a ravine, both crumpled and bloodied and, well, very dead. No sign of either children. The weather was horrendous, snow still coming in strong and it was making it next to impossible to look for tracks. We searched all the caves and caverns in the area, anywhere they may have crawled into for shelter, but nothing. After another two days of relentless snow and futile searching, we gave up. Even if they were there, they were most likely frozen and died due to exposure. As awful as it sounds, we resigned ourselves to the fact that they would likely turn up when the snow began to thaw. Well, a few days later, we did find one, completely by chance, when we'd been out to check on one of the caves where we knew there was a young family of bears. Although in the same park, this particular cave was roughly 20 miles from the spot where the parents' bodies had been found. It would have been almost impossible for a small four-year-old child to get to the snow and make it over that way, and yet there she was, not a mark on her. Thankfully, the smell of her had not woken the bears. She was, of course, dead, but appeared completely frozen, not injured. During the autopsy report, it was discovered that fish and berries were in her stomach, which had been consumed just a few hours before her dying. As for the other child, she was never found. She simply vanished into the snow and, well, never returned. There was another full-scale search for the body after the thaw began. They even searched for bones in and around the caves, in case she'd been dragged off and eaten. All that was ever found was one of her snow boots and one glove, both of them miles apart from each other. The boot just in the middle of a path and went and led nowhere, and one glove at almost the very top of a fir tree. There was no trace of blood or any other evidence on either. It remains an open case to this day. This happened almost five years ago, but even now when I'm out on one of my patrols, I always keep a lookout for her or any other part of her or her clothing. She is, by far, not the only person that goes missing, not by a long shot. Something happened to these people, something or someone takes them, or they're experiencing something we will never have an answer for. Is there some sort of monster out there? Do parks act as some kind of beacon to UFOs? I don't think we'll ever know for sure but I'm 100% certain that somebody knows what's going on. I want to start by saying that at no point in this story did I fabricate any detail. The year was 2013, I was finally old enough to go big game hunting in my state of Michigan. My uncle is kind enough to take my dad and I up north to his small cabin, it's early November slash December in Michigan at this point in time so it's absolutely freezing. The day comes for my dad and I to set up in the deep woods at our blind. It is a two-person blind so we're sitting back to back scanning the opposite direction of each other looking through the tree line. 
Hours go by and we see no activity of deer so I get up and walk a half by downhill following deer poop and prints. I reached an area that was just breathtaking, a hidden stream in the middle of the forest, the sun was cutting through the trees and it was so warm and relaxing. I sat down and started to daydream when I feel the ground vibrate with four individual footsteps so I snap my eyes to the direction it was coming from only to see the back of something huge jumping over the stream into the thick brush on the other side and get away all within two seconds. It was brown and well over six feet three which is what I stand at. I do not want to claim I saw Bigfoot or a wild man but I honestly don't know what I saw that day. I kid you not, I'm currently outside and we're at our bushcraft camping spot. I need some help explaining what me and my best friend have seen. We've been at this spot for about 3.5 months and during that time we've had a strange occurrence. So far it's been twice for certain, and other times we weren't sure what we saw. My friend, let's call him Toby, was the first one to see it for certain. We're quite far into a dense woods at our spot around one month in. The camp is half finished and we were chilling indoors listening to the stream. He turns around for a second checking the perimeters and he suddenly sees it. For certain this time, a fast black figure speeds by in the trees, passing by a bunch and then stops behind a tree and doesn't show itself again. It's too fast to be a person, and he didn't say more than that in fears he would scare me and we went home. Just now 2.5 months later, I saw it the opposite side of the woods. I stopped all the music and tapped my friend Toby's shoulder. I asked him dude, do you remember that thing you saw a while ago in the dark? That figure? Concerned he answers yes. Why? Was it fast and like a black figure zooming in the trees? Yes? And we both say at the same time. With a hood. I freaked out. We both saw the same thing. We don't know how to explain it. I didn't believe him at first but now I've seen it myself and I can't explain it. I'm quite skeptical so can anyone tell me what they think? My name is Rob Powell. For the past few years, I've held the position of park ranger at the Brecon Mountain Rescue Team here in Wales. The BMRT is an essential emergency service for rural Wales, staffed entirely by volunteers and funded entirely by donations from the National Lottery and members of the public. Our work is not just restricted to mountain or wilderness search and rescue for climbers and hill walkers, our skills are also deployed by the Welsh Police to search for vulnerable or missing persons, on assignments where we can employ our specialist medical and rescue techniques. I've seen some pretty wild things during my time in the rescue team, some of which have been more distressing or disturbing than I'd care to admit, but there's only been one incident in my entire career that myself or my colleagues have not been able to fully explain. This is the story of that incident. Mountain rescue teams can only be called on the authority of the police. A call is normally initiated by the local force in response to a 999 call or the report of a missing person. The team can be, and is, called out at any time of day or night, under any conditions, even on New Year's Day and Christmas Day. The relevant police personnel will initially alert the rescue team by means of a pager message. A little outdated, I know, 
but it reflects the slimmer than slim budget we're forced to work with, year in year out. Once the volunteers receive their I will respond message, the ball gets rolling. A team leader, or deputy team leader, will then discuss the details of the incident with coordinating police officers and decide on appropriate rendezvous points and if any additional assets need to be deployed. These can include additional teams, tracker dogs or even helicopter support if the situation calls for one to be deployed. So I'm sitting the Drover's Arms pub with a few mates, having just finished watching one of their younger brothers represent their high school in a rugby sevens match. Their team won, so spirits are high, we've just finished some dinner, and I'm about to get stuck into my first pint of the evening, when my beeper goes off. I won't lie, I was a bit annoyed, I'd really been looking forward to that pint, but we're explicitly told to expect things like that. Such is the life of a mountain rescue volunteer. Anyway, I let the lads know that I had to leave, put my coat on, and began the 10-minute walk up to small set of offices that serve as the BMRT headquarters. It's early on a Sunday night, most calls seem to happen around holidays and weekends, and the place is empty, so I unlock the doors, turn on all the lights, and walk down to my office to phone the police liaison's officer to get all the necessary details. As I'm talking to the officer in question, my phone starts lighting up with text messages from various other team members, telling me they're on their way. Everything was coming together nicely, and the situation seemed like the usual, basic search and rescue job. A couple of hikers went up into the hills on Saturday, intending to camp overnight before heading back down on Sunday afternoon. According to the person who'd called it in, the hikers hadn't returned on schedule, nor were they answering any of their phones. So, they called us. Now, on more than one occasion, we've gotten calls from members of the public reporting missing people who weren't actually missing at all. Sometimes groups are slowed down by a dodgy ankle or an upset tummy and just so happen to be out of range of the nearest phone mast. I get why someone might panic, and it's always better to be safe than sorry, that's why the BMRT exists in the first place. So it always, always, helps when the person making the call knows a little bit about the missing group's intended route, so we can retrace or follow it and potentially find them nice and quickly. If we can focus our search, we don't need helicopter support, which saves us a huge amount of money. I know that sounds callous, but we really do live and die on our funding, so it's essential we keep the purse strings tight. So I'm going through all of the core details with the liaison officer, determining that the lost group's route most likely started in Merthyr Tidville and advanced north in the direction of Brecon Town Center, a pretty common route for hill hikers. We go through all the usual stuff, just like normal, then move on to the miscellaneous details that can often aid a search. These can include any medical conditions that might bring the missing persons into difficulty, age ranges, and things of that nature. You'd be amazed at how tiny, seemingly insignificant details can help with a search, so it's extremely important we compile as much information as possible, as quickly as possible. Only when I press the liaison's officer for more information regarding the emergency call itself, she became awfully cagey. Very little in the way of detailed information could be passed along regarding the missing group, 
the only significant detail being that the woman who'd reported them missing was absolutely distraught when she did so. The dispatcher had noted that no matter what she said or did, she couldn't seem to reassure the caller that their loved ones would be found. The caller seemed convinced that the group of hikers was gone, and never coming back. Honestly, it's stuff like this that's kept me in the BMRT for so long, being the hero that people so desperately need at what for many, is the lowest point of their lives thus far. Less than an hour after the initial beeper messages, myself and four additional volunteers had converged on the BRMT HQ, ready to begin our search. Our route would take us over 16 miles of hills and mountains, roughly 5 hours of solid walking, but it was likely we'd find the missing group of hikers in a fraction of that time. At least, that's what we told ourselves initially. We did find something relatively quickly, after only 45 minutes worth of hiking up gently sloping trails, but it didn't fill us with confidence, in fact, it did the very opposite. We found a tent, an empty, abandoned tent. Being a BRMT volunteer sometimes means you're basically a detective, you use small pieces of a puzzle to build up a larger picture of an overall situation. What we had before us was an empty two-man tent, but we were looking for a total of four missing hikers. What was clear was that whoever had set this tent up had been easily able to make it down into Brecon to report an emergency. Only they hadn't, they'd apparently gone back up the trail, but why they'd do such a thing escaped us completely. But what was obvious, is that they'd done so without their hiking boots. This was the first really worrying sign. This happened to be in the middle of March, not the coldest month of the year, but one which brings strong winds to central Wales. Wind chill can lower ambient temperatures by almost half, and tend to be the cause of most cases of hypothermia we encounter. A hiker can look outside, see a sunny day, and assume fine weather. But once they're up a mountain, the wind can drop the temperature into single digits and turn a seemingly benign situation into a deadly one. But it wasn't just the hiking boots that had been left being either. A fair amount of cold weather clothing had been left behind in the tent, along with what appeared to be a significant amount of food and water. It was at that point that any hope of getting through this rescue without having to call in helicopter support went right out of the window. Whoever was lost out there needed help, and quickly. So we called it in, and within minutes, a search and rescue helicopter had taken off from Neville Hall Hospital in Abergavenny with the intention of flying the length of our proposed route. Our eye in the sky was on its way. It was full dark, no stars by the time we made the call, and shortly afterward we began to see red and white flashing lights moving westward in the sky ahead of us. The helicopter's pilot and I exchanged greetings as they tuned into our radio frequency, and I kept in touch with them as best as possible as we advanced along our route. What's more it didn't take long before the co-pilot spotted something unusual just about a mile or so ahead of us. According to the helicopter's crew, they had spotted a person running along one of the mountain trails in the opposite direction we were heading. They had tracked the individual's movements for a minute or two, before losing sight of them around a set of standing stones. There are over 30 standing stones in the Beacons National Park. Some of them are many centuries old and wreathed in myth. It isn't known exactly how many of the surviving standing stones are prehistoric. 
Some appear to be memorial stones and others may well have had more than one function either as boundary markers, way marks on ancient trails, signposts or even rubbing stones for livestock. But whatever their purpose was intended to be, we had our next rendezvous point, one that we would have to reach quickly if we hoped to find our missing persons in good health. It took about 45 minutes of hard hill climbing before we reached the standing stones. They formed a rough circle of five huge chunks of granite, worn and misshapen by the elements. According the helicopter's crew, the person they had been tracking had run off the trail and into the standing stones, before disappearing from view. It was more than likely that the helicopter had simply let the person slip out of their searchlights and lost track of them. But why a person in peril would run away from a rescue chopper and not towards it was a complete and utter mystery to us. I mean yeah, stranger things have happened on previous rescue attempts, but this little conundrum certainly left us scratching our heads as we began to search for clues as to where the person might have headed to next. After a minute or two of combing the area, with only our personal torches for light, one of my team members called me over to one of the standing stones. Behind it, set into a little hillock that obscured it from view, was a small opening in the earth. I say small, it was just about big enough for a fully grown adult to climb inside, and what was clear was that it would be the perfect place for someone stuck on a mountain to take shelter from the biting wind and rain. I stuck my torch inside the opening and peered inside, only then seeing just how deep the passageway seemed to go. Wales used to be a hub for the British coal mining industry, and the country is now littered with disused mining pits and shafts, both ancient and modern. Knowing this full well, the underground passage didn't strike me as too unusual at first, and I actually thought the missing hikers lucky that they might have come across something like this to shelter them. I called out down the opening, checking to see if anyone had slipped down the tunnel and gotten themselves stuck whilst trying to take shelter, but received no reply. I then called over one of the other team members, who happened to carrying the majority of our climbing ropes. We harnessed him up, staked climbing pegs into the earth just outside the entrance, and began to lower him into the opening to check for signs of life. We lowered him down so far into the earth that I began to worry about the prospect of him getting stuck himself, but, thankfully, we didn't have to lower him any further before he found something. He called out for us to pull him up, alerting us that he'd found an item of clothing that possibly belonged to one of our missing hikers. So we did just that, we pulled him back up, took the item of clothing from him, and lowered him back down to continue looking. As he did so, I took a quick look at the jumper he'd brought up, and was struck by something unusual about it. It looked old, really old. Clothing exposed to the elements for long periods can end up looking pretty rough, but not that rough. It appeared as if it had been stuck down that hole in the earth for a long, long time. We didn't find anything else down that hole, or on the rest of the mountain. We stayed up there until about 3 in the morning, long after our helicopter support had to withdraw due to dwindling fuel. But we didn't find a single thing. No more clothes, no signs of life, and no bodies. The more it became clear that we weren't going to find anything, the more I thought about how the distressed caller seemed convinced that the hikers were gone. She had no way of knowing that whatsoever, yet somehow, she was right. And that really didn't sit right with me, 
at all. Throughout the next week, two more search parties took to the hills in the hope of finding a trace of our missing hikers. Both came back empty-handed. I had expected reports of the missing hikers to appear in local news publications, only they didn't. When I tried to find out why, I was turned away by most police sources until one let slip that a judge at the High Court of England and Wales had placed a publication ban on the incident, meaning an order prohibiting publication under Section 11 of the Contempt of Court Act 1981 was in effect, keeping all news of the incident out of newspapers. But that's not what really bothers me about this whole thing, I mean it's been confounding, sure, but it's another peculiar detail surrounding the case that keeps me up at night. The name stitched into the jumper we found down that hole in the earth was Robert Williams. I came to find out that this didn't match any of the names we'd been given regarding our missing hikers. In fact, Robert Williams had been missing from the nearby town of Neath since March of 2002, 17 years before our missing hikers were reported. Who was it that our helicopter support had spotted before they disappeared among the standing stones? Was it one of our missing hikers, or was it in fact the long-lost Robert Williams? Regardless, I can't help but think I'd find the answers to these questions at the bottom of that tunnel, hidden among the standing stones. I became a park ranger because it was the closest thing I could do to being an explorer which was my childhood dream. Now even as an adult I'm a big dreamer. I still wish I could be some kind of explorer like in the movies discovering new lands and naming cities after myself. Often if I've worked mornings and I'm done with my day, I'll change out of my uniform and walk into the park and look for things that I haven't seen before. It filled my desire to be an explorer and it kept me fit and in the process I got to know the park better. It's always a win-win. The day that changed me was the day that I went exploring despite the nagging feeling in my belly that I should have just gone home instead. I was enjoying myself but I was jumpier than usual. The park just felt different that day. I don't really know how to explain it but other park rangers and avid outdoorsmen will understand what I'm saying. Sometimes it just doesn't feel right where you are. I'm here to tell you that you should always trust that feeling and leave when it arises. That day I went in a completely different direction than I normally did. I was hoping to find something completely new and boy did I. I came across a small shed between the trees. The shed itself was covered in leaves and twigs as if to hide it away, or blend it in with the rest of the scene. It would have worked if the door hadn't been ripped off. It was the only reason I had spotted it. Because there, in between the trees and the bushes was a doorway into a dark space. It was only after I had come closer that I realized it was a shed and then it was covered with brush. The door was lying to the side as if it had been pried off with some force. It was bent and damaged, I clicked on my flashlight and stepped inside it reeked in there. What I found was a large pile of feathers and bones of small animals and twigs. It looked like a gigantic bird nest but smelled way worse. Yes, part of the stink was the smell of decomposed animals but there was also a very specific metal smell. Like metal that had been heated up to a very hot temperature. I was looking at the nest, wondering what on earth could have created such a big nest. When I heard a sound outside. I could just see through some gaps, out of the small shed window. 
I heard a grunt and then some shuffling. What I saw gives me the creeps to this day. There was this large creature with the features of a wolf but its fur was patchy. It was covered in cuts and scrapes and it carried a dead bird in its mouth. My heart stopped completely as I realized that I was completely alone. And that the back of this creature likely came up to my rib cage. I held my breath hoping not to make a sound. Then I remembered where I was. I was not in any kind of safe hiding spot, I was in its nest with only one way in and out. If it came through the door I would be completely cornered. I didn't know what to do when I started to panic. We all know that no logical thought occurs while in a state of panic. But I realized I had two options. I could wait and just hope the creature doesn't come inside. But that would be ridiculous as it clearly had a nest there. Or I can make a run for it and take my chances. I heard the footsteps of the creature make its way, around the back of the shed, and I mustered up any courage I had left. Then I sprinted out the door and towards safety. I heard a sound from the creature behind me. I'm certain that it hurt my footsteps as I ran away but I made it to safety. Thankfully. A few weeks later I decided to go and take a second look but this time I took someone with me. I needed to show someone what I had found because everyone thought I was just making up stories. I followed the same route and came across the same shed. We found the nest but it was clear that nothing had visited it for a while. To this day we're asked to be on the lookout for a similar nest or the creature that had created it. But most people aren't taking it seriously and we've never found anything worth looking into again. I have photographs of the nest on my computer at home but I don't like to look at them. It brings back those same feelings of fear that I felt when I was in the creature's nest and trapped. I was so close to death. I no longer dream of being an explorer. It was supposed to be a fun getaway. Summer is ending, and soon we would all be back in the classroom, and Tyler just couldn't let our freedom go without one last hurrah. Truth be told, I was a bit uninterested in the whole thing, we'd been going to parties, getaways, and of course our week-long vacation all summer. I'd intended to take the week off. But Austin, my boyfriend, was insistent on going. He'd always loved the outdoors. Not that I don't enjoy the woods, I really do, but I just wanted a nice movie night, maybe a bowl of ice cream, and lots of sleep. But he's always been an absolute energizer bunny, bursting with endless energy and nearly as much optimism. It was just going to be the four of us. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns. Tyler, his girlfriend Charity, Austin and I while it took some nagging on his part, I eventually relented on the promise that we would stay in next week and do something more low-key. I still remember the smile on his face. He kissed me on the forehead and insisted I was going to love it. As if I hadn't been camping before, ha! Huh? They'd chosen a park out in the Appalachians to camp at. I'd never heard of it before, and so I immediately did a quick Google search to get an idea what I was getting myself into. I'm not one for surprises, I like to know what I'm walking into. The pictures made it seem nice enough. There was even a lake we'd be able to go swimming at, and I was always down for a good time in the water. Of course, Tyler was going to pester me about fishing, because pulling slimy, wet animals out of the water is so fun. I decided then and there to make Austin fish in my stead, so I could enjoy myself as I wanted. It took maybe two hours to get out to the campsite, a relatively flat hilltop surrounded by thick foliage and bushes. The boys had the foresight to pick a location with a little gazebo and a pair of grills that looked like they'd been there since the beginning of time. Seriously, why are they always so rusty and antiquated? I remember overhearing Charity talking with Tyler as they set up their tent, we're not going to be able to see anything once the sun goes down. I could hear the trepidation in her voice. She'd always been scared of the dark. Babe, it'll be fine. He gestured toward the fire pit in the center of the campsite, we can light a fire, and I brought enough lanterns and flashlights to turn this place into the Vegas Strip. Let's hope so, that place is amazing, Tyler chuckled, planting a tent stake into the ground, I've always had good luck in Vegas. I bet I'm going to get lucky here too. She smirked, lucky, eh? We'll see. I nudged Austin gently, whom was busy trying to decipher the crappy picture instructions on the side of the tent bag, babe, let's make sure there's some space between our tent and theirs. He turned to look at me, with his infuriating, yet endearing grin, why? I was going to put us right next door. Ugh. What if I want to be able to get a good night's sleep for once? I don't see any train tracks for some damn train to come down at 4 in the morning, and I want to take advantage that. But we can't let them get lonely. I punched him in the shoulder, shut up, I'm sure they'll be fine on their own, he laughed. I still remember the sound. It's one of my favorite sounds in the whole world. I wish I could go back to that moment and change things, but I was oblivious to what was going to go down. It was several hours later when I was sitting by the fire, leaning in Austin's embrace and watching the flames dance brilliantly. The moon was mostly obscured by the clouds, so we were surrounded by a thick blanket of darkness. Tyler had killed and cooked up one of the base he caught, or maybe it was trout? I can't tell the difference. He'd offered to make dinner for all of us, but I'd declined. Eating something caught fresh out of the lake, a lake we know next to nothing about, just wasn't my thing. I ate what I packed instead. Austin had taken him up on the offer, and was finishing up the piece he'd been served as dinner, you know, this ain't half bad bro. Maybe you're onto something with your whole Bear Grylls routine. Eh hey, you're starting to come around then huh? He raised his hand to stop him, no, I just said the food was good, I'm not trying to learn how to forage and crap to survive in the woods. Tyler took another bite, speaking with an unnecessarily full mouth, 
Hey, you never know when this stuff might come in handy, it could save I rolled my eyes in exasperation, and drown their conversation out. He could go on for hours with survival tips and how to eat freaking rattlesnakes to survive. I found myself studying the forest instead. At least, what little I could see of it. A gentle wind blew through the trees, its soft whisper floating through the air to create an almost peaceful atmosphere. And yet, something seemed off. I listened closely, I couldn't put my finger on it, but something just seemed odd. The forest was dead silent. No crickets chirping, no frogs croaking, nothing. Nothing other than the wind, of course. A bush rustled on the edge of the clearing, maybe 50 feet away. For just a moment, I could have sworn I saw a shadow. Maybe a small figure, moved deeper inside the bush. Suddenly feeling a little cold inside, I narrowed my eyes and checked again for whatever it was I saw. Nothing. I chalked it up to my imagination. Meanwhile, over the sound of the crackling fire, Tyler was in the middle of some sort of animated discussion, wouldn't believe it man. But it seems like every place like this is spooky legends from 500 years ago surrounding it. Austin sounded intrigued, what kind of legends? Can we not? Charity huffed, you guys know I don't like the dark. I want to be able to sleep with both eyes closed tonight. Tyler smirked at her, we were planning on sleeping? He earned a quiet, shut up and a smack on the leg from her. I sighed at the amusement he got from tormenting her. We watched the fire in silence for a moment, before I stood up, I don't know about you three, but a moonlight swim sounds amazing right now. You're all welcome to come with. Charity declined quickly, moving closer to her boyfriend and grabbing his hand. He just shrugged apologetically. Austin stood up dutifully, I'll come with you. Babe, I recognize that tone. I put a reassuring hand on his arm, the lake is basically right down the hill, if you don't want to come, you don't have to. I'll be fine. Are you sure? I nodded. He shrugged and sat down, I'll probably be down a little later then. Damn, he looked handsome in the light of the fire. I leaned down and gave him a kiss, then started off toward the lake. It really wasn't that far away, like maybe 60 or 70 yards. I clicked my flashlight on and began pushing through the forest undergrowth. Why wasn't there already a path? Almost immediately, I started getting a strange feeling. A feeling I was being watched. I glanced around nervously, shining my light into the dark woods on either side, but I didn't see anything. No I shine, no movement. Despite the lingering feeling, I continued onward. I quickly took my shorts and shirt off on the shore and waded in, leaving the flashlight shut off alongside my clothes. The water was warm at the top, and chillier the deeper it got. I took in a deep breath, enjoying the fresh smell of nature, and swam out into the water. Rolling over onto my back, I huffed in disappointment at the night sky. I had been hoping to enjoy the stars, as we couldn't exactly see any inside the city, but I forgot about the clouds. At least I have the moon to keep me company, I thought to myself. I don't know how long I was in the water, maybe 15 minutes, but my mind quickly started wondering. I was glad I came, even if sleeping in a tent sucked. It had been a while since I'd had a chance to get unplugged from technology, and back out to nature. Out there it was just us in the woods.
The thought gave me pause. I opened my eyes and raised my head, glancing back out at the tree line. Everything seemed normal, except for the quiet. The forest wasn't just quiet, it was silent. The more I thought about it, the more it didn't sit well with me. Curious, I swam back to the shore. Grabbing the flashlight, I turned it on and shined it out into the wilderness. Once again, no I shine. Usually, if you shine a light into the woods, the eyes of insects, spiders, and other animals shone back, like little fireflies of varying color. I couldn't think of a single time I'd not seen I shine in the woods, at least not none at all. That feeling started to come back again, more intensely. I stepped on a stick, and it freaking hurt, so I went back and put my shoes on. Then I started searching. The bushes, logs, the branches for bugs or anything else. I probably spent a good couple minutes doing so. Nothing. That feeling from before was growing stronger. Like something was watching me, somewhere in the shadows, and it was getting closer. I tried to ignore it, it was just my head playing tricks on me. But it was like the air around me was constricting on my neck. Then, I could swear I saw something. A dark shadow, ducking beneath a down tree in the distance. My stomach tightened as fear began to seep in. I had to have been seeing things, but I felt the urge to scream for Austin or Tyler to come down here. I quickly took a couple deep breaths to calm down, and started hiking toward the campsite. I thought about going back for my clothes and phone, but that feeling was growing stronger and I was trying hard not to freak out about nothing. I could swear the darkness was getting thicker, more oppressive by the moment. I began speed walking, then nearly running until I broke through the tree line. I was vaguely aware of a cut on my shin bleeding mildly, but I ignored it and marched right up to the group. They were still huddled around the campfire. Austin? Guys, I have a weird feeling right now. The others glanced at me silently. What do you mean Allie? I took a deep breath. I felt a bit safer being out of the woods and around the guys, but I couldn't shake that evil feeling in the pit of my being, Austin, I think I may have seen something out there. That got his attention. He stood up quickly, saw something? What do you mean? Suddenly, I felt really dumb. I probably looked like a schoolgirl again, breaking eye contact and grabbing my arm nervously, I I don't know. I saw like a shadow or something. So like a fox or something? Tyler offered. I shook my head, no, not like that. It was. Like, dark. It was hard to describe. Charity spoke up, her voice laced with concern, that sounds an awful lot like that legend you were telling us about Ty. I glanced at him expectantly. Before I could open my mouth, he stood up and shook his head, putting his hands up, look, you likely saw some sort of small animal, like a possum or something. It's no big deal, there's lots of wildlife around here. We don't need to worry about some stupid ghost story. He put a reassuring hand on Charity's shoulder and squeezed it, besides, as long as we stay by the fire, we'll be okay, right? What he was saying made sense. I knew that. But I couldn't shake the feeling building in my gut. Something dangerous was out there, at least, that's what my imagination was saying. Look. I took another step toward the fire, I know it's probably no big deal, but could you too, 
you know, take a quick look? Just so I can have some peace of mind. The guys exchanged a silent look, the fire still crackling in the background. Sure, why not? Austin grabbed a flashlight, if there's something out there, we'll find it, Tyler sighed reluctantly, fine, we'll check it out. I'm sure everything's just fine, but there's strength in numbers I guess. While the guys marched down the hill, I sat down beside Charity. She was clutching her flashlight tightly, as if it was her ticket to safety. I knew we should have went downtown instead, I chuckled, hey now, you'd probably be wiping vomit off Tyler's shirt in a few hours, you know how he is about over drinking. This isn't all bad. She nodded, before glancing me up and down, did you forget your clothes? Suddenly, a chill went down my spine. My instincts were screaming at me, I was being watched. Or maybe my imagination. If it was my imagination, it was starting to work in overdrive. And it was doing a really good job. Still, I didn't want to make a big deal out of nothing, so I shrugged instead, I, well, this is going to sound pretty silly, but I felt really nervous. I swallowed quickly, I couldn't shake the feeling that I wasn't alone. Charity's eyes widened, like, like you were being watched? My stomach sank. For a moment, at least. Then I shook my head and tried to think rationally, look girl, I think we're all feeling pretty hyped up right now, but it's just our imagination. We're rubbing off on each other, I'm sure everything's fine. If there's anything down there to be worried about, the boys will find it, she laughed nervously, turning back to the fire, yeah. Yeah that's probably it. We'll be safe with the guys I'm sure. I nodded reassuringly, and put a hand on her shoulder. Then I looked up. A shadow in the tree line. It quickly ducked away. My blood ran cold. I rubbed my eyes, glancing back in the same spot. I couldn't see anything, but the feeling of peril was getting stronger. Just then, the guys came back. They were moving quickly, which didn't do anything to calm my nerves. Tyler took a deep breath and shook his head slightly, as if in disbelief, well girls, we didn't find anything. That said, do you two kinda have a bad feeling about all this? Yes. We replied together. While I moved over to Austin on the other log, Tyler took a seat beside his girl, well ladies, I'm not one to get caught up in superstitious nonsense, but Austin and I have the same feeling. So we're all gonna stay up by the fire where it's safe and wait it out, okay? I thought of the shadows I kept see thinking I was seeing. I could picture them clearly. There was something wrong about them. Maybe, maybe we should cut our losses and head home? Charity nodded vigorously in agreement. Austin wrapped his arm around me, look, I know it feels a little freaky, but I'm sure everything's alright. It's just the woods. We'll stay together, try to enjoy the night, and it's all gonna be okay. Sound good? I leaned in the crook of his arm and placed my head on his shoulder. I nodded slightly. Somehow, despite the looming feeling of danger, I felt better when I was in his arms. Like everything was going to be fine. And I really did believe it would be okay. Rationally, everything was fine. I just couldn't forget the shadows. The s'more was delicious, and yet I didn't feel any better. I was just feeling worse and worse as time passed. I could see it in the others' faces too. 
Tyler had suggested we make the campfire treats to get our minds off of the boogeyman, and yet, I felt worse. And I could see they were feeling the same. Even Tyler was quiet, shifting his weight around aimlessly rather than being his usual jovial self. I'd been trying to get up the courage to go get my stuff from the lake, but the longer I waited, the less appealing the woods became. Eventually, I relented mentally. I didn't want to be a chicken, but the fear won out over my self-consciousness, guys, could one of you go get my stuff? I left my clothes and my phone down by the water. I was still in my soggy bikini at this point. I really just wanted to get my clothes back. After a moment, Tyler swallowed and stood up, sure, I'll get it. But first. He hurried over to his tent and unzipped it, I'm going to break out the big guns. He emerged a moment later with a lantern, a flashlight, and a knife. He hooked the blade and the flashlight to his belt, and lit the lantern. It was surprisingly bright. Now, I'll be ready for anything that goes bump in the night. He did a little shimmy dance, but I couldn't bring myself to smile. All I could muster was a quiet, thanks. He nodded solemnly and hurried off toward the lake. I snuggled up closer to my boyfriend, Austin, call me crazy, but something just doesn't feel right. We should leave. He gave me a squeeze, don't worry about it Ali, everything's fine. We'll forget about it by morning. His words were comforting, but I could tell from his tone he really wasn't sure if he believed that himself. I glanced up at the moon again. Stupid camping trip. I couldn't even see the stars. I was honestly feeling pretty salty about the whole ordeal. Camping wasn't even that bad, I enjoyed it under the right circumstances. But the night just had a bad vibe, and it was ruining everything. The fire crackled gently. The logs were beginning to turn to ashes, so Austin got up and put a fresh log on it. Suddenly, a blood-curdling scream pierced the night and straight through my soul. I'll never forget the sound of pure terror. Austin leapt frantically to his feet, Tyler. He sprinted off down the hill where the sound came from. Heart pounding, I grabbed my flashlight and ran after him, ignoring Charity's pleas to stay with her. He got a 10-yard head start but that increased quickly until he hit the wood line. I was able to catch up a bit as the uneven ground slowed him down. Snapping my light on, I hurried after him that terrifying feeling of evil right on the edge of my senses. Ty? Tyler? He shouted his name repeatedly, his words laced with a panic I'd never heard from him. The woods gave no response, other than the crunching of twigs and sticks beneath our feet. We spread out a bit, searching frantically for our friend. I wasn't having any luck finding him, even though he took the same route I did. I kept searching until, eventually, I noticed a shadow duck behind a tree. My blood ran cold, Austin. He didn't seem to hear me. I was petrified, I tried to move my legs, but they wouldn't work. My light was fixed squarely on that tree, but nothing emerged from behind it. But I could feel something was there. I called out Austin's name again. This time, he hurried over, what? Are you okay? I struggled to get my words out. I I think I saw a shadow behind the tree. He glanced at the tree, then squeezed my shoulder. It's gonna be alright babe. Your mind is your worst enemy right now, don't let it play tricks on you. I took a deep breath, 
and I felt a surge of adrenaline course through my body. I then became acutely aware of Charity's frantic shouting, trying to get our attention. She sounded terrified, and who could blame her? He spun me around to look in my eyes, look, you go check on Charity and tell her to calm down, then come back down here and help me find Tyler. I took a deep breath and nodded. Then I ran toward the campfire. I cursed myself quickly for not wearing pants to protect my legs from shrubbery. Up at the campsite, Charity was huddled close by the fire, watching for us. I heard her call my name when she saw me, and she rushed forward to meet me. I found myself caught in her death grip, oh my god, Allie, what was that? Is Tyler alright? I quickly worked to separate myself from her, look, Austin is down there looking for him right now. He sent me up to tell you everything is fine. I took her by the shoulders and made her face me, we're going to find him, okay? Now I'll be right back. I rushed back toward the woods, ignoring her cries for company. I felt bad about it, but Tyler needed me more. Maybe it was the adrenaline, but in spite of the dark, impending feeling, I felt brave. Austin saw me approaching and called me over. By the time I reached him, I was panting pretty heavily and thanking myself for not completely giving up on running after high school. I was still able to get the words out, did you, find, him? He gestured toward the forest floor. Tyler's lantern, now cracked, lay on the ground. A few feet away, I saw his flashlight and his knife. My clothes and and phone were nearby as well. But he wasn't there. But most bizarre, a small cloud was floating a few feet off the ground. The best I could describe it is like mist, but dark, very dark. I shined my light on it, but it didn't move. What the? I knelt down beside the thing. Just looking at it made goosebumps rise on my body. Maybe it was crazy, but there was something sinister about the thing. Crack. My head whipped around toward the sound. Austin was already glancing in that direction. It almost looked like he was trembling. Uh, Allie? What? He took a deep breath, speaking slowly and softly, what was it you said about seeing shadows? My eyes widened. Before I could say anything, we heard Charity screaming up by the campfire. Austin cursed, sprinting toward the campsite. I followed him as fast as I could. As I ran, I had a view of the fire from the tree line. It was hard to see, but it looked like Charity was freaking wrestling something, like an arm of darkness had wrapped around her and was pulling her back. Her screaming pushed me to run faster. She fell backward and behind the log. The scream stopped. Charity. I was freaking out beyond belief at this point. What the hell was happening? It was like that evil feeling was manifesting in physical form and attacking them. Austin reached the campfire first and stopped. I got up there a few moments after. My heart dropped when I saw it. A cloud of darkness, hovering just above the ground, like mist. Her flashlight sat, abandoned beside the campfire. At that point, I really lost my senses to fear. I don't remember everything, but I know I was looking around frantically, flashing my light around the woods in terror. I saw a shadow. Two. Three, off by the tree line. Allie. Austin grabbed hold of me. I don't know how long he'd been trying to get my attention, babe, 
I don't know what's going on here, but we need to go. Follow me to the car, let me go first, and we'll go get the police. Okay? I was on the verge of hyperventilating. But I nodded. So long as I had Austin, I could do this. We both started hurrying along the path to the car. It was a ways off, maybe 200 meters. I couldn't help but start glancing around with my light. Shadows. They were small, ranging in size from maybe the size of a possum to a child. They were quick, darting between hiding spots, or simply freaking disappearing. Babe, eyes on me. I quickly turned back to him. If I say run, run, okay? Not that we weren't already hurrying. We were already jogging, but he was trying to keep me calm. He knew I wasn't as fast as he was. I heard rustling all around us. Branches shaking, sticks breaking. I sped up, barely holding onto my composure. A shadow emerged on the edge of the light. I screamed his name in warning. I watched, with my own eyes, and this thing pulled latched onto his arm. Austin screamed, and I ran to grab him as he started to stumble forward. A pitch black hole opened in the air. This creature, it pulled him into the hole. His cries of fear vanished as the hole collapsed, replaced by a black mist. This time I screamed. I ran like a wild animal into the woods. It probably wasn't the best idea, but all I could think of was getting away from what I'd just witnessed. I could hear something behind me, bushes rustling, twigs snapping, it was right behind me. I ran faster than I ever have in my life. I don't know how many cuts and scrapes I got, but I kept going. It was an eternity. I hit a rock and pitched forward, smacking into the ground. My flashlight skidded away from me and sharp stones cut into my arms, hands and knees. I scrambled to grab it, but one of the damn shadow creatures pounced between me and it. I kept running, despite the burning in my lungs, as hard as I could. I don't know how long it was, a few seconds or a few minutes later. But suddenly everything went black. The first thing I felt was soreness. My entire body ached. I groaned, cracking an eye open. There was light, light from somewhere, maybe a window. Where am I? I felt like I was waking up from a bad dream. Then it all came rushing back. I sat up and screamed. A moment later, there was someone beside me, comforting me. I started to regain my senses. I was in a room, maybe a cabin of some sort, lying on a bed. There was a man in a park ranger uniform, holding my hand. He rubbed my shoulder soothingly. Miss, you're fine. Just breathe. It's gonna be fine. I started hyperventilating. The room began to spin and I half fell, half leaned my head into his shoulder. He seemed a bit unsure, but gave me an embrace. We were like that for a good few minutes. Slowly, I calmed down, and started focusing on what was around me. I seemed to be in a cabin of some sort, maybe a ranger station. I had some sort of jacket, but other than that I was still in my swimsuit from the previous night. My body hurt. The soreness was intense, and numerous cuts stung as a reminder of the previous night. Most of them had been dressed and bandaged. I honestly looked like hell. Miss? Are you feeling okay? We found you passed out in the woods not far from here. I just stared at him blankly. All the emotion, 
It was like it was being replaced with a rushing wave of numbness. Like I wasn't even there. He squeezed my shoulder gently, what's your name? Again, it felt like an out-of-body experience. Like I wasn't the one speaking with my own voice. Allison. All right Miss Allison, you're safe here. Can you explain to me what's going on? He paused for a moment, take your time, no rush. So, I did. It was a slow process, especially because I was already struggling to remember the previous night. It would come back in rushing, terrifying pieces. After what must have been half an hour, his expression was profoundly discouraged. I'm glad you're okay Allison. You might find it hard to believe, but I know you're telling the truth. I stared at him blankly, tears in my eyes, but confused, why you do? What do you mean? He sighed. He brushed a piece of bark out of my blonde hair. It was comforting in a way, even though he was old enough to be my father. He took his ranger hat off solemnly, it's not supposed to be public knowledge, but we are vaguely aware of the shadows you ran into. It's the reason President Wilson made this place a park a hundred years ago. Besides the beauty, to safeguard the public and figure out what exactly goes on out here, he sighed heavily, these occurrences, they're incredibly rare, and as far as I was aware we'd pretty much gotten rid of them. But they've supposedly been around since Native American times. We don't know what they are, frankly. Some say they're from another dimension, others say it's supernatural. We just don't know. I nodded slowly, taking it all in. Honestly, I was heartbroken, and all the emotions of the last 18 hours were overwhelming, so I said nothing. The ranger continued, there are a few things we know about them. They only come out at night, and when there are a few stars. And they're attracted to light. I was confused, light? Yes, light attracts them. They hate light and they'll take anyone around it. I worked for a few years as a park ranger, and now work as a police officer. Despite being in a very different line of work we often work closely with the park rangers when things get a little out of hand. You know crimes committed in national parks that sort of thing. Growing up I had always looked up to park rangers and police officers. They had seemed so brave and fearless. I know now that rangers and officers are only brave because they have to be and that we're nothing close to fearless. I feel fear every single day when I wake up to go to work. I have seen human beings on their truly worst behavior. Most of my career I've been convinced that humans truly are the most dangerous species on the planet. Now, I never really believed in skinwalkers. I'd heard of them but assumed it was just folklore particular to Navajo territory. It just seemed like any other campfire story to me. Other than hearing other people talk about it and reading a couple of posts on Reddit I didn't know much about it at all. That is until one day I was called out to assist some park rangers at a park nearby. It wasn't clear exactly what they needed help with, but just that I needed to head there with my partner. Already in the car on the way over, my partner was coming up with all kinds of spooky stories. I laughed she had always had a wild imagination and she was really coming up with some ridiculous possibilities as to why we were being called out to the park. When we got there, what we found was far worse than any of her scary stories on the way. 
The rangers had come across a large heap of carcasses. At first I didn't understand what it had to do with the police as it seemed like an animal control issue. But then they pointed out that all the animals had been sliced open across their bellies with some precision. Now when I say there was a large pile of bones I mean it was pretty massive some of the carcasses were so old that there were only small bits of flesh and fur clinging to them. It had clearly been months of decay. I asked the rangers how they hadn't come across it before and they said the area had been closed off for some time so that plant life could have a chance to restore itself. We took statements from everyone and took photographs of everything we could. But other than that there really wasn't much else for the police to do. The park rangers rightfully felt that it was a person that was behind it all. And that they needed to be stopped. I agreed. But there was very little evidence that actually pointed us in the direction of anyone in particular. That's when my partner suggested we put up a camera. We didn't have any special trail cams or anything like that but she said that she had her old security cameras in her garage and that they had a fairly decent night mode. A few chats with the tech guys and they were installing cameras in the bushes around the pile of animals. I didn't expect to find anything on the cameras. News of discoveries like that would travel fast, and surely whoever had done it will realize it isn't safe to go back. Still the next morning we went to download the footage. I wasn't sure we'd even have any footage. The setup we had going wasn't exactly the greatest and I was certain that it would be too damaged by the morning to retrieve anything. I wish I had been right. But I was very, very wrong. What we saw was a large dog-looking thing. It looked much like a coyote, except that it had a much larger rib cage. And it walked as if its hips had been broke. It walked silently with a small deer in its mouth. It dumped the deer on the pile of the other deer and then stood up comfortably on its hind legs. With one long nail, it sliced the deer open and proceeded to eat only the deer's innards. After that it curled up just like a dog, and went to sleep. Huddled up next to the pile of carcasses. As I said I don't know much about skinwalkers but I'm pretty sure that what I saw matched the description of one. I've never known an animal to behave like that. The footage was sent to the park rangers and they informed me that they would try to capture the animal. But I don't know if they did. Nobody will talk about it. I've asked them questions but I get brushed off. The footage had also been confiscated and were asked not to discuss the case with anyone. The image of the large doggish creature keeps me up at night. And I have nobody to talk to about it. What I do also know is this happens regularly, and each time it's swept under the rug. I advise everyone to be far more careful than they think they need to be. Because creatures that we do not yet understand seems to be piling up carcasses.